Hey guys, Justin here. So, uh, this episode that you're about to hear was recorded before the attack on uh, American troops and Afghan civilians in Kabul that as the time that I am recording this right now, I'm going to publish the episode immediately, is 20 Marines and upwards of 90 to 100 Afghan civilians in uh, a bombing. So uh, uh, I'm going to give you guys my take on on that new news before we even begin the episode. And, uh, you know, it's ugly. I, I think it was on the PX3 Extra, the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition, that I, I made the point that any bad scenario leaves you vulnerable to worse scenarios. And that certainly happened today for the Biden administration. And I would like to comment very briefly on Biden's speech. And specifically the, the questions that he took afterward. Uh, I think that what is happening right now with Joe Biden is particularly blame shifting. Like he came out and said that anybody who did this will find the full brunt of American military. And I don't doubt him in that. I, I do think that we are about to get back to the Obama Clinton death from above scenario. So we are going to see a lot of drone strikes. We might see targeted uh, Air Force raids. But. The, the the moment that really, really struck me was, and to Biden's credit, he called on uh, uh, Ducey, the younger Ducey, who is the Fox News correspondent, knowing that he was going to get a tough question. And he did. He got a question saying, do you harbor any blame for this? And initially, Joe Biden said the exact right thing. That is that is a fair question in a time of tragedy. And he, you know, was served up a poop sandwich and you know you have to eat it. And Biden initially ate it dutifully. He said, yes, I bear total responsibility for what happened. And then he hit homeboy with the butt. But what I hope you report to your people is that Donald Trump is the one who signed this deal and blah, 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 blah. And it's it's hard to be the guy for whom the buck stops when then you immediately pass the buck. Like, you know, you have a poop sandwich to eat, eat it in front of everybody and then end the question. Instead, he went back and forth with the younger Ducey, and uh, I thought it was indicative of his speech. Throughout all of it, he kept talking about the consultations he'd had with the military, and the military recommended this. Double-digit Marines are dead. Right now, that's not the time to to do a 
cable news segment. And 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 I don't care if you're like, well, the other guy, Trump, would have said worse. Probably. But he didn't have to. Because this never happened on his watch. It happened on your watch. And for all the times that you ripped up Trump things, you could have ripped up. And, and, and you did. Trump's deal said that we'd be up by May 1st. We're damn near Labor Day now. Last time I checked, that was a couple months away. So I don't think it was a particularly strong showing by Biden. Uh, I think that this is a legit humanitarian tragedy and we still got a couple days to go. That being said, I think that the fundamentals of this episode hold. The questions that I ask our guest Brian Brushwood about non-interventionalism hold. And the segment that I have that you're going to hear in a couple minutes about whether or not we should negotiate with the enemy holds. So there we go. Enjoy the episode. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that this was out there. Uh, enjoy. The following is brought to you by theknowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood. And Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for Friday, August 27th, 2021. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. We're going to talk a little bit about Afghanistan and the Taliban, and specifically in the realm of America negotiating with the Taliban. When is it good? When is it bad? In the eyes of the American voters specifically. And when, beyond all of that, is it necessary? Because based on current events, it very much appears as if it's necessary right now. We're also going to do some non-Afghanistan news. Peek back into history where we uh, resume our negative campaign ad dissections. This one goes all the way back to a particularly bizarre opening to a commercial. Uh, this was a, a, a long form uh, a campaign ad that happened during prime time the night before the biggest blowout in modern American political history. Oh, yeah. It's going to be pretty fun. Also, we're joined by Brian Brushwood. Uh, and this is a bit of a personal one because among all my friends, the most outspoken non-interventionalist is Brian Brushwood. It was at the center of some of the first conversations that I ever had with him politically. And I wanted to ask him one simple question. With 
the optics of what is happening with the fact that it looks like we are 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 the 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 exit from Afghanistan has been a bit of a disaster does that actually do more harm than good to the non-interventionalist ending of forever wars movement do you have to stick the landing on this stuff if you want the american people to understand the benefits of your point, or if it's messy, will it always be held up as the reason why we have to stay somewhere forever? And has the pro-war side, for whatever the next war is, been gifted the shorthand for why we can never leave because of how this is played out in Afghanistan. I ask him that question, and we talk about a lot more. But first. Fair warning. There are no answers in this segment. Only questions. Working with the enemy. When is it good? When is it bad? When is it necessary? You know, something struck me watching Afghanistan in the last few days, and that is the Taliban. Specifically, how both government and chattering class has discussed the Taliban before, during, and after this pullout. As it stands now, it looks like the Taliban is in charge of our withdrawal. And I mean that. In charge, they are calling the shots. America, the richest, most powerful country in the world, with the most fearsome military that the globe has ever seen, with weapons so violent that we recoil from even discussing them. The Taliban is in charge of our withdrawal. The head of the Taliban said on Wednesday that the United States had to the end of the month to get out of the country and there would be no extensions recognized. A few hours later, Biden told the heads of the G7 countries the exact same thing. He then came on television and told America. Now, let me be clear here. What I'm talking about are optics, the way things look. Maybe the Taliban is in control, maybe they aren't. But somebody who wanted to make sure that the world knew that the United States was not taking marching orders from the Taliban would probably have leaned on public statements like, we will leave when we get every American out. While behind the scenes, privately, browbeating his staff to get everybody that they could out by August 31st when they would declare that all Americans were out. So, do the optics matter? On primetime cable talk shows, uh, yeah, I think they do. In fact, it might be all that matters when you're talking about those programs. Do the optics of how we are understanding this situation get Americans out of harm's way faster or slower? I don't know. I'm, I'm partially inclined to say not really. All that matters is the planning and execution of the missions. But the reason why this struck me 
is because leading up to this moment, the optics around speaking with the Taliban were dominant. Let's go back, shall we, to the halcyon days of 2019. Ah. A world free of COVID, when getting your Uber Eats left outside your door was strictly the domain of agoraphobics. It is in 2019 that it's leaked that then-President Donald Trump sought a meeting with the Taliban at Camp David. That plane was scuttled after a Taliban-planted car bomb killed an American. But the mere whiff that the President of the United States was willing to meet with... The Taliban at Camp David of all places? Well, it just simply isn't done. Think of the global calamity. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton quit amidst this controversy. He slammed his former boss in the press for even considering it. Not only would it be a slap in the face to the troops who fought and died to defeat the Taliban, but also a terrible example for terrorist groups around the world. Kill enough Americans over a long enough period of time, and you too could earn a trip to the same bedroom shared by kings, queens, premiers, and prime ministers. Well, let's look back on those conversations now, shall we? As the Afghan government collapsed, was negotiating with the Taliban a, a bad thing? I mean, it's what we're doing now. We have no choice but to. So why did we? Because the Afghan government and military were not going to hold up. If there's an elephant in the room during all of these conversations, it's that. The government, that of the Afghan country, was, reportedly, full of graft and corruption. It didn't have the will of the people behind it. Because of that, the military was going unpaid for months, if not years, for some soldiers at a time. This was foreseeable. And an embarrassing collapse. The United States spent 20 years building a trillion-dollar sandcastle, protecting it from the waves, only for it to be washed away within minutes of us wandering off. If that's the reality, then what choice do we realistically have but to negotiate with the actual power in the region? And in this case, that's the Taliban. Like I said, there are no answers in this segment, only questions. Because the cost of negotiating with the Taliban then and now is the same. It's what's playing out on social media as we speak. Pictures, videos, and news reports of executions and worse. The Taliban is a brutal authoritarian regime, and they are in the process of breaking Afghanistan under their rule yet again. Comedians, former police chiefs, women, children. But again, what are the options? And what are our limits 
for each option that we take. No reasonable person believes the United States can evacuate everyone we've promised evacuation by the time we have said we would evacuate them. A bipartisan attachment of representatives Meyer and Moulton, who secretly visited Hamid Karzai Airport, said that getting everybody being Americans and the Afghans that we promised we would evacuate out by the original target of 9-11, so 11 days after we said we would be gone, would likely be difficult to impossible. So there's no doubt we are going to leave people behind if, if we follow the guidance of our new partners in the region, the Taliban. So what do you do? Do you sweeten the deal for the Taliban? Do you fight the Taliban again for that extra time? If it's so confusing to ask the question, should we talk to them? Then what hall of mirrors is it to try to figure out what you're going to say? There are no answers in this segment. Only questions. It's 1984. You are settled into your living room, ready to watch some television. Tomorrow is election day, and you haven't decided who you're going to vote for yet. Well, luckily, if the dial was on CBS... Both candidates had a message for you. Reagan goes first, talking directly to the camera like a popular frontrunner should. There's barely even any mention of an election, just a larger-than-life leader explaining how far we've come. Good job, it says, through wrinkled cheeks and swooning background music. This place has a way of making us think about the kind of future our young people will have. Everything we do here, we weigh on tomorrow's scales. Keeping our economy strong and free from the terrible inflation of a few years ago will bring stability into the lives of those just beginning their families. Keeping taxes down and big government under control encourage creativity and economic freedom. But Dutch isn't done. No, he runs a shorter version a little bit later during Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. There's been something special in this campaign. In the bright eyes of our young, I see America coming together again. They are what this election is all about. They deserve a tomorrow where they can fly as high as their talents will take them. We're coming together again and building together again. And across this shining land, we're hoping together again. How can anyone doubt that our best days are yet to come? But then, oh boy, is it your favorite show? Cover up. Damn, you love cover up. You love that it's about a gorgeous fashion photographer whose CIA husband dies from mysterious circumstances, so she's forced to become a spy herself. But it's amidst this hair-raising episode of cover up that Walter Mondale runs his own ad. A gargantuan final plea weighing in around five unbroken minutes. Imagine that. 
a five-minute political ad in the middle of cover-up. And it starts off hot. Here's the first minute, which is what we're going to focus on in this segment. It starts out with shots of American iconography, a grain thresher, the Golden Gate Bridge, Statue of Liberty. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young's Teach Your Children strains in the background as actual children begin to precociously list their hopes and dreams. And then the hammer drops. I want to live a decent life. I don't want to live in poverty. Wait, what? Amidst the wishes of children, we, without warning, intercut to a senior citizen at a senior citizen's home, staring directly down the barrel of the camera and pleading to live the rest of her numbered days in dignity. But then back to the kids. I want to be a dietitian. And back to the seniors. I get uh, $35 in food stamps, but I used to get 76 So they cut me right in half there. And back. I want to be a veterinarian because I like to help animals. And for it. I worked all my life. And it paid in. Then when I need it, it's not there. And then it pretty much just goes to a Mondale speech. And weirdly, the line, the first time that you hear the candidate's voice, is him basically conceding the election. I'd rather be the underdog in a campaign about decency than to be ahead in a campaign only about self-interest. I wanted to bring you that part of the ad because I thought it was particularly dark. In general, children are precious in political ads. They're used to symbolize hope or why we sacrifice or a a counterbalance for you to make the decisions that you're going to make at the ballot box because everything that you do, everything that we do as a society is for these kids. And because they're kind of off limits, we tend to remember the times that kids are put in peril in ads in general, but political ads in specific. There's a reason that the Daisy ad by Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1964, where a little girl in a field is obliterated by a nuclear bomb, along with most of Western civilization, presumably, is held as a standard of bombastic campaigning even today. To use cute kids deliberately as a way to make you feel worse about the plight of the elderly? I've seen a lot of these ads, and I can't remember that particular strategy being used before. And it's pretty desperate, IMO. For good reason. Reagan was very popular in 1984, and Mondale ran his campaign by attempting to convince America that the good times they so believed wasn't real. And you can see it clearly in his ads. And Reagan's ads, for that matter. In fact, almost all of Reagan's ads 
including the most famous positive ad of all time, colloquially known as It's Morning in America, are basically infomercials for a weary nation finally back on its feet. The final shot of a movie when the hero with a bloody bandage on his head gets to put one arm around the girl and tussle the hair of a precocious tyke with the other as he looks into the golden hour sun. It's rightly remembered as a lesson, these Reagan ads, that if people like you, sell a romanticized version of the truth. But Mondale has to break that narrative, and to do it, he takes chances like he does in this final ad that we just played. It doesn't work, of course. Mondale takes a historic ass-whipping. The Reagan roll-up sees Ronnie take all but the electoral votes in D.C. and Minnesota. And so, it was more than just the children who got taught a lesson. I don't want to jinx it, guys. I don't want to jinx it. But... I want to let you know that from December to right now, your boy, Justin Robert Young, has been in a bit of a panic. Bit of a panic. Because we had what some might say is a market correction on our Patreon at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. A lot of people that were very dialed in for, for the election... You know, uh, some trim back. Obviously, people are started going out again. Budgets are getting uh, re reconfigured. But we have had, you know, uh, uh, less patrons and less money coming in on the Patreon from December on. And I've made hints to this. I've even said a few times foolishly and maybe trying to be a little... Uh, optimistic that you know things had maybe turned around well I was lying I was lying at the end of each and every month hundreds hundreds of dollars uh, uh, compared to where it was the month before gone dozens of patrons gone and that's fine again market correction I know that I do a seasonal podcast if I did a podcast about the Olympics you know, I would I would actually have a pretty similar schedule to this. Every two years, it would get a little exciting. And then, uh, you know, once every four years, it would be the most exciting. But I've got to say this. This is the month. We've gotten to the end. It's narrow. It's narrow. But so far, money-wise, we are up on last month. And when I say slim, I mean it's single digits. I think it's $6 is the time that I'm recording this. What I'm telling you is this. If you've ever been on the fence about becoming a patron of this program, then you can do your part right now to make sure that we hit the combo breaker and actually enter September in the black. In terms of our Patreon level. The way you do it, of course, is by going to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $1 level and you will know, have the peace of mind 
that in a recurring fashion, you will support this independently produced program, which as of now, right now, comes to you ad-free. Furthermore, if you sign up at the $3 level, you will get bonus content, a bonus show on Monday morning, a bonus show on Thursday. The Monday will be the first thing that you listen to politics-wise for the week. I will break down the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday shows, and I will tell you what to expect based on the narratives that are being crafted by the power players in Washington. Thursday, you will get the final word, the latest news that breaks is covered on that Patreon show for the week. And then, of course, there's the $10 tier. You get your name right at the end of the show, as well as everything else that I just mentioned. It's simple. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And I will promise you, the first episode that we do in September, I will let you know whether or not we did break the streak. Do your part. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, thank you to everybody for listening. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our guest today is the host of the Modern Rogue YouTube series. He is the host of The World's Greatest Con, a uh, brand new audio series that uh, was produced by Dog and Pony Show Audio and was a big hit. Season two coming soon. And of course, my co-host on the great night comedy show, the one, the only, Brian Brushwood. Welcome to the show, Brian. Yo, dude, good to finally be here. This is about politics, right? Well, yeah, you're you're not you're not unknown on the politics show. No, I, you've, uh, you've been you're yeah, well known. This you're is well more known. an indictment of the fact that I'm so confused and I have no idea where, where I am. <laughs> it's before noon. I don't understand things. <laughs> is this the first time that you've that we've actually recorded here in yeah, my in my yeah. office? First, first time I've seen the studio. Yeah, we have we have had. I mean, really, as far as our 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 friendship goes. It was political. There's always been a political kind of element to it because uh, when I met you, was Ron Paul still running, or it was it after the Ron Paul thing? Uh, It would have been 2008, so he would have been uh, running. That was in 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 the money bomb era. Yeah, I guess so. Because uh, well, uh, uh, yes, yeah, that that would have been it. We we met over the phone in 2008, and then we the first visual uh us hanging out yeah virtually virtually was that talking ahead tv thing where we were talking about the ron paul money bomb and how um that inspired the operation i scam oh yeah wow okay two or three months later we met in person uh when i was headlining at halloween horror nights well, wow, I think I had already forgotten the first conversation because we I think we we had what what felt like a serendipitous what I remember as a serendipitous political conversation uh that first time we were hanging out. But one of the things that uh I think we have had long conversations about are foreign interventions, forever wars. This is a a strain of of your politics that uh I think has probably 
come the most to the mainstream. Would yeah. you say that? Like, like I, 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 you know, who knows? Cause memory shifts over time, but I'm pretty sure that I've been fairly consistent in my pro non-interventionist beliefs. The, yeah. the belief that the United States should not be the policeman of the world, that, that um, uh, there are vested moneyed interests in a perpetual global meat grinder. And we always need to be looking for the next war. Uh, we talked about on uh, Andrew Heaton's show when he was at the blaze about how uh, if, if there's one thing that I did very much like about the Trump presidency is that, you know, we, it didn't really have any foreign. We didn't start any, didn't war. start any wars, yeah. as far as I could tell. Um, uh, and, uh, and, <laughs> and 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 also, there's now a complicated question about how much credit or blame he should get for for the Afghanistan thing. But but he certainly now the Biden administration is saying we are we we had to get out because Trump promised that we would get out by May, and then it turned into August, and now it may go into September. Yeah, uh, I, and and this is these are the weeds where I I don't know you know who shares which play, part of the blame between Team Red and Team Blue or any of that, but but uh, I, I do have the vague impression that if they were like as as gross as some people found the idea of talking to the Taliban, I'm pretty sure if we had continued to talk to the Taliban, it, we'd have. Something a little bit more peaceful well, than we're seeing I mean, now. So this is the the entire first part of this uh, uh, podcast that people are listening to is going to be all about the optics, the yes. optics of talking to the Taliban. And when is it good? When is it bad? When is it necessary? And, you know, how much it kind of guided foreign policy. But what I wanted to talk with you about was an idea that I've kind of had since things started getting so ugly about a week and a half ago, because yeah. as somebody who in my life has probably talked the most about non-intervention, the most about bringing people home, is the disaster, the public disaster that this has been. And it does not seem like it's going to be over anytime soon, especially if the Taliban and the United States are arguing about when everybody needs to leave, which means we might leave people behind, which means there might be executions and blah, blah, blah. Like there is a worse element that could happen. Is leaving Afghanistan a net detriment to the cause for leaving other foreign entanglements? Because now the refrain has in the past and now we'll have a fresh example to say, well, geez, we can't leave. You don't want another cobble, do you? Right. And uh, I think 10 years ago, I wouldn't have understood the importance of messaging. You know, nowadays I understand that the power of, you know, whether they're right or wrong, the story is blank. And, yeah. and uh, the, the doubly pernicious thing about this is that uh, it'll be a little bit like Zeno's arrow in that, you know, at first it'll be people getting killed and then it'll be persons getting killed. And then it'll be, you know, a year from now, we're going to hear, uh, one more person. And now all of a sudden the media is going to be able to tell us, you know, a doctor who graduated and gave his time to helping people in Afghanistan has been murdered by the Taliban. I mean, so we, we it's, are it's already be seeing this, it. This, we are this already seeing drip, that. There is this, there's this a, water torture. There was a thing this week or just uh, over the last 24 hours that I saw of like, 
a comedian, a TikTok comedian that was murdered by the Taliban and a uh, police chief, the, oh, the former police chief of Kabul was executed yesterday. So it's like we are, and I guess this kind of brings us into another topic of conversation that we've had a lot is how interconnected we are and how much like, you know, if, if, when America left Saigon, you might have had a few members of the press that hung around and 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 uh, you know continue to report but by and large when western media left western media left now western media is all you have to do is have one dude who speaks the language that's following you know the 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 taliban accounts on twitter or or people that are reposting from other social networks and we're going to know exactly what's going on there on, on a level that we never really did before. And I guess that's uh, how does that from your mind plug into the, the, the larger goal of not extricating the American military in, in, in foreign wars? Like, did this need to go cleaner for there to be a, a greater will to pull people out after the mission's done? Um, I, I, man, now we get into speculation and prognostication and, and I, I have no answer. Very grim prognostication. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, but, uh, I guess starting with the counterfactual, like, I don't know, there is some part of me that wishes, uh, that like tr- Trump could have pulled this off and had everybody howling mad at him. And, uh, and, 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 and I think it would be less ugly because they wouldn't want to be covering you know, uh, the grim aspects of pulling out, the media would want to be covering how gross Trump is for for shaking hands with the Taliban. Exactly. By the way, I was reviewing some of those old stories. Uh, Not only did he want to bring them to Camp David and that led to John Bolton quitting his job, (laughs) but also once he made the deal in February of last year, he still wanted to go meet them. Like he wanted to personally go, and I would suspect if COVID doesn't happen, he probably does go meet the Taliban to put a face to the deal of the United States and 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 the Taliban. And the reaction at that point was horrified that yeah. like like this is what you're going to legitimize a a terrorist organization. So now to ISIS and Al Qaeda, if you you too, if you kill enough. Uh, uh, if you kill enough Americans, like you they can eventually and bend the knee, we'll give you the photo op. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and so again, uh, I do think that the problem that we have right now is, is less a problem of numbers and every death is a tragedy and every person who's trying to get out who can't is, is awful. But, but the legacy, the, the longstanding issue is going to be, the power of the images and the stories that yeah. are being told. And it will become a uh, compelling advertisement for forever wars and constant interventionism. And, and this will be the reason around campfires. Uh, uh, people with East Texas accents are going to say, that's why we got to stay over there. So they don't come over here. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah. and, and I don't love any of that. I, I don't think any of that's helpful. I think that part of it is also the, you know, we didn't stay in Afghanistan because we we felt that like, oh, like a couple more years, then this nation's going to be fully built. We just need to get the roof in and then the AC. And if we fix the grouting, then this nation will be fully built. Right. Like 
We always stayed because it was a bad time to leave. Right. And it was always going to be a it bad time to leave. It was always going to be a bad like time that, to leave. That's, yeah. that's, that's their number one uh, brand in Afghanistan. Come for the war, stay forever. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a stay for the opium. I mean, it is the graveyard of empires. Like, yeah. uh, like it is, it is historically the place where like we have, we have now joined a fairly illustrious club of, uh, of, 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 of conquering empires that came to Afghanistan and, and, yeah, I guess what, one star on Yelp. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 could not leave one star. Um, so, it, it, but on the flip side, you know, if we're talking about a battle of optics, uh, it's pretty bad optics when we are sending 18 year old children who uh, were born after 9-11 to go die there. I mean, it's like how bonkers was that? I mean, it's like at some point something has to happen. And uh, I, I will say that uh, uh, President Grandpa has not done a great job of 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 smoothing the american frustrations with it or or being proactive about it and and to be honest i i can understand why because who wants to be the democrat who comes in you're like all right job number one let's follow through on that republican strategy that that, that i just you served i mean yeah biden historically has been bullish on getting people out of Afghanistan. Correct. Uh, although, uh, 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 but also bullish about, like, he used to back in the day, really be a hawk. And, and well, uh, yeah. according to, you know, what some pundits or others, you know, he, he, he saw the light when it, there was some book that had a whole chapter on his son and how, you know, this intervention uh, 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 led to the death of his own son. And it's speculated that, that that affected him and that it, he's become a lot more uh, uh, reluctant to, to throw our kids overseas. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Biden, Biden is, is very Biden in terms of like, he's a creature of the Senate. So it's like, I, I don't know how much his narrative of his own opinions changing is something that I necessarily take at face value because when you're in the Senate, your vote is often made for various different reasons for, right. for could, could political you, alliances, you, you for expediency. Yeah. Took a bullet like, on this so that you can get the other thing. And that's not me saying that he's a bad guy per se. That's right. me saying he's a Senator. Do you think everybody who's going to be voting on these reconciliation bills or, or, or uh, these things that, that might imperil them in their own reelection effort. If we all understand that all politicians want to do is get reelected. Right. Anything that could that could imperil that possibility is something that they don't want to do, but they have to do for certain reasons. Behind the scenes, there has been reporting that, especially when he was with the Obama administration, that he was not in favor of certain, uh, uh, you know, Afghanistan redeployments, which is odd because Barack Obama got elected in 2008 being the end the Iraq war intensify the Afghanistan war candidate because he couldn't be fully anti-war. Right. He had, he had, to, he, he had to prove that he was, that he was still, you know, can miss uh, muy macho, but like, uh, and, and by the way, uh, followed through on that. You're like with, you know, those drone strikes, George W. Bush are doing so bad. We should do three times as many. By of the them. way, also, <laughs> have you noticed that like, this is one of the talking points and both, uh, Secretary of State Blinken and Biden have said it. So you know that this is like from the top, these are our talking points that, uh, you know, since 9-11, we now have 
a lot of tools at our disposal on how to handle terrorist threats in places where we don't have boots on the ground. And it's like, that just sounds like drones with more words. Like, why did you just say we have drones? Like, we've got drones. Obama used drones a lot. I'll got, use the we, crap out of drones. We got a little trick we like to call pay money to find out where bad people are, blow them up. I mean, yeah. Uh, so it's funny. And sometimes we're wrong. Yeah. It comes out in the wash. You were talking about how interconnected we are uh, thanks to the internet and how the stories keep on rolling. It's still fascinating to me that that uh, when uh, in the news cycle right now, the numbers you always hear are the number of American soldiers killed in Afghanistan. Uh, what was it? 2,500, 6,000, something was- like that. The, the last, the, the, the number that I saw was somewhere between 25 and 3,000, something right. like that. So, yeah. so, so about one unit of 9-11 uh, over the last 20 years. Never, like almost never do you hear about the over half million Afghanis that, that we have killed. And, and, of, and of it, Taliban it, fighters or, or sure. civilians. Yeah. yeah. Humans uh, that are not American. In I mean, the number, the number that I, the number that I was, I was shocked by was, uh, and it's what I really found distasteful about Biden's initial statement about uh, uh, the pullout when he was denigrating the Afghani military for folding and the, the government for folding, which it's like, look, government, uh, from what we know now in, in some of the, now that people are actually being honest and they're not like worried about what their sources at the Pentagon are going to yell at them about, like the Afghan government was corrupt. It was filled with graft. The citizens didn't trust it. That's a problem. That's, right. It's a hard, it's hard for the citizens to stand up for it when they don't trust it. The military wasn't getting paid and they hadn't been paid for over a year. And by the way, that military lost 70,000 people, 70,000 Afghans died in, in trying to set up their, their war and fighting I fighting against uh, fighting against the, the, Taliban. the Taliban. Wow. So it's like they 70,000 of them died. Eh, maybe 3,000 of, of American troops died. And I'm here as an American to say that we should be, our job is to safeguard the lives of the American troops. But also it's like, it really left a bad taste in my mouth for Biden to be like, well, they're cowards and they folded. And you know, like that's, I'm like, man, they were, they had that amount of loss of life and they weren't getting paid. Like that's, that's rough. Yeah. And uh, so I guess back to the larger question is, is what could have been done different? Like, are we safer now for pulling out? And I would like to believe that we'd be safest if we took all of our troops that were not in America and used them to defend, you know, we should, we should, we should, be, I mean, bring, bring them all home, home and set up a night's watch uh, on the Northern and Southern borders. We're pretty much set. Right. Uh, but the, uh, 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 I can certainly understand and agree with anyone who is saying this is an unmitigated disaster of how it looks of, of uh, it's, it's ammunition for people who believe that, that America, and, and by the way, uh, uh, t- to be clear, this is my view is a rather pragmatic one, which is uh, we cannot afford it. We do not have the money to uh, have military bases all over the world and be the world's policeman. Uh, it, it, that is how empires fall. And, and I, I have no interest in uh, seeing America fall. And uh, the best way to do that is to overextend their, us, all of our resources. And so that's, that's my primary concern. Uh, but, but I, I would agree, man, this, 
this visually is an unmitigated disaster of, of how things look. And I, I would agree with the sentiment that in the short term for the next few years, we probably are less safe because so many people are thinking about how, what very legitimate reasons they have to be angry at America. I mean, there, there are those same 18 year old kids that we sent over to Afghanistan to die for over a nine 11 that happened before they were born. Yeah. There are 18 year old, uh, Afghan, Afghans, uh, Afghanis, uh, Afghans, who, I believe yeah. who have grown up in a world where they have only existed under an invasive, uh, uh, country. Yeah. I mean, and, and I don't know, I, I, I certainly do not have any on the ground, uh, uh, experience and I don't know what even the rubric of, you know, America being invader, America being savior, because if, if there's one thing that I think we can certainly see with the internet that makes it more uh, stark is that like, we can prove any of those theories. Like we can show you the, the radicalized, uh, a person whose uh, father was shot at a wedding by an American soldier that now has joined the Taliban. We can show you the, uh, a girl who otherwise would have been, you know, a, a moved like chattel to, to a, a Taliban soldier that now is a doctor in London, right? Like there's, there's so much that kind of goes into it that like, <sighs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I really, I, what we meant to Afghanistan is something that I don't even know if, if we can explain, like all we can do is look at it from the American perspective of saying like, should we be there? Can we afford to be there? Do we need to come back? And that's the larger thing. And, and to our, our point at the very beginning, that's been your point for a very long time. And now it became very popular. It's still popular now. Like if you look at the polling now, it's still in the seventies of, should we come back? Right. It's just a matter of how we did it. And, and you know, the question that I think is probably most relevant is like, all right, let's go ahead and do the, the, the last fight of Dr. Strange and, and Dormammu we've come to bargain. Let's roll back all the time and freeze it to like, right after Trump made that deal with the Taliban, February of 2020. What brings us in the multiverse, if we look at all the ways that this goes down, what brings us the best version of it? And is one of the best versions of it a big show of strength that involves more redeployment so we can get out? Or is that even possible? Like once you put more troops in, is it is it impossible to 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 get out, even if it's just to safeguard an, an evacuation? Well, and on top of that, you have the fact that when we went into Afghanistan, we did so with a global mandate. Essentially, the United States, the, the United Nations using the phrase by any means necessary, a.k.a. You have the world's permission to go to war to with do this country. Whatever you want. Like, I think about how remarkable it is that the United Nations flat out <laughs> issues a proclamation saying, go get them, kids. It you helps know? that the United Nations is in the same city where the terrorist attack that, 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 that uh, started everything was. Sure, sure, sure. But, but I would say that uh, 20 years down the road, we do not have that mandate. Like if we pull out there, if we go back, 
there's going to be a lot of like, what do you do in United States? Uh, That's what the G7 wants us to do. They met yesterday. Really? G7 was like, why are you pulling out no on, on August 31st? You need to negotiate for an extension. You need to, you need to stay in like now. Part of it is that the G7, many of which are European, which is far closer to Afghanistan than the United States is, uh, they don't want a super uh, uh, surge of Afghan migrants that are coming uh, into into their country. So they well, would- and, and that that is the other thing is is uh, uh, tactically speaking, man. Uh, remember, America is an island. The United States is an island with two very. Big old soft. Uh, uh, we're, we're an island with two bodyguards on each side. <laughs> big, big doughy targets that that will give us a lot of time to prepare for any invasion. Yeah, talk talk to Jose and Guy on our <laughs> yeah, north and right. south. <laughs> uh, so, so in that regard, uh, yeah, no, I, it is different for us. It's just like we come home, we're like. What a weird holiday that was. Anyway, let, let's go back to primetime television. Exactly. Yeah. And we're just, a, you know, stream home improvement on Paramount. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, I mean, right now, the 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 mood of the the Western democracies is that this has gone too fast and we need to figure out a way that there's not a greater humanitarian disaster centered around whatever this deadline is at the end of the month. Cause the Taliban says no extensions. Biden came out yesterday uh, or by the time that you hear this a couple of days ago and said, we are going to get everybody. Uh, we are going to be done by August 31st. We're looking at contingencies, but it's going to be done by October 30 or by August 31st. And uh, you know, th- there were two representatives that secretly went to Afghanistan uh, and came back today, released a statement, and they said that it would be impossible to get all of our people out by September 11th. So, yeah. like, that was the original goal. Now it's faster than that. <sighs> Boy. Uh, I wonder if, and this is not something you would make a public thing about, or maybe you would. I wonder if a, um, a propaganda uh, campaign or, or a big campaign you know, parachute a whole bunch of uh, 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 cell phones, uh, uh, survival kits. Keep your head down. We know you want out. Just keep your head down. That's how you communicate. And we're, we'll arrange for a place and a time and that kind of stuff for anyone who wants out. Uh, that would be uh, 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 cheaper <laughs> than, than a military thing. Uh, and, well, and, and the question and, is and how at least have uh, the the benefit. I mean, that's now, you know, we're above. Now, now, now we're getting in, into logistics because also along with the Taliban saying no extensions after August 31st was also. Yeah. By the way, Afghans aren't leaving anymore. Yeah. So where do we go from there? Right. Like it's it's like so now we've we've I mean, said they, we've they, said anyone who worked with us and all Americans will be getting out. And so now half of that, and, and by the numbers, more than half, if you look at who are on the planes, it's more Afghans than it is Americans. Yeah. Uh, you know what this feels like? It's, it feels weirdly reminiscent of the Iron Curtain of the 80s where, you know, your, your East Germanys and so on, you know, uh, your uh, East Berlins. Um, and, and in that regard, maybe there are lessons there on how we handle things uh, uh, in that space. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the, the, the heroin's not going away, though. 
Oh, thank uh, goodness. Because the last time that the Taliban was in charge before 9-11, they had, uh, they had, they had knocked off all the heroin. So they made heroin a crime or opium growing a crime and just like shattered the world heroin market, apparently. Uh, but then while in, in exile, they apparently have learned to love the poppy and now well, they and, are, and now then, they are, now they are fully in control of the, opium. in that case I could see, I mean, you know, the United States has already funded, uh, covert and non-covert, uh, uh, coca field poisonings in, in Colombia. And they, we weren't even at war with Colombia. They were just trying to shut down the drug trade. Uh, if, if in this case, I can see them not droning people, but instead just, you know, uh, pest or uh, what uh, herbicides. On, I don't on know. Fields. I, I feel like when we're done with Afghanistan, like we are done with Afghanistan. Like I, I, I think that that is like it is such a sore subject. Uh, of, in terms of like how long we were there, how little like utility there seemed to be at at a certain point. I feel like that's just gonna be that, unless like, and you even look what it took to get us over there in the first place. And now the more that the public even knows about how much you know, the Pakistani military was kind of involved in, in, in so much of this stuff. And, and we had a a good relationship, quote unquote, with Uh, with the ISI. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh, we had a, like we have a relationship with Pakistan. Correct. We, we do not have a relationship with the ISI. I mean, mean, uh, Pakistan may be dealing from the bottom of the deck here and again, but, but at least the public facing story is that we're, we're getting along. Yes. Uh, uh, mostly because they don't want, only India to get along with us. Yeah. <laughs> they would like to get along with us as well. Uh, but even then it's like, uh, you know, what, what was it? Like what, what, what was, you know, the, the whole thing we go in and I, I very much believe that Ralph Nader would have brought us to war in, in Afghanistan after nine 11. I think that like when, like when, when, when you say that, the UN is is giving you full by any means necessary. Like people are going to war. Oh yeah. Like, absolutely. Uh, the question was exactly how long, we stayed there and, uh, you know, the top two targets, the head of the Taliban, Mullah Omar. Did you know what happened to Mullah Omar? No. He's I, a Twitch streamer now? No. <laughs> it's funny. Somebody <laughs> actually on Twitter was mentioning like how long until the first Taliban Twitch streamer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought he died during our initial military, like in that initial like couple months. Because I remember this is when they when they installed a, a Karzai. This is. Yeah. Yeah. Around the Karzai time where. I remember Mullah, something about a missile attack on Mullah Omar and, and like, oh, they, they think he's dead, blah, blah, blah. I look up on Wikipedia, that dude like died of natural causes in Afghanistan. Just taking her easy? Just apparently he was just living in this village. He was being protected by the villagers and, and they assume he died of like tuberculosis or something like that. So maybe not natural causes, but he died of, he died of something uh, uh, that wasn't an American bullet. Do, do you think... Uh, 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 Bora is, is, is in Afghanistan, right? Like, uh, uh, uh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so do, do you think if we, uh, America had gotten Osama bin Laden before he had left for Pakistan, that would have been the exit point where it's like, <laughs> and we're done. That's Bye. what I was, that's what I was thinking is that, all right, so you don't get bin Laden right. for 10 years. You don't get Mullah Omar for a, 13 years. He outlived bin Laden. Yeah. Uh, so at a certain point you've lost your two natural 
narrative endpoints. Right. If you're leaving now, now it's like, you know, next thing you know, bin Laden comes out and he's doing the Dougie like on, <laughs> on YouTube. And you're like, like, Oh, we really look like assholes here. Right. Uh, so I, I do think that that's part of it now, whether or not that would have been just the first step. And then we would have also gotten into a, a, a situation of like, well, now we need to, We've, well, we've, and, we've and, and overturned the, the government. The we need to set to up say, the new government yeah, to stay would still be the same. It's like, what you, you know, you broke it, you buy it. What are you doing? But look, we got out of Iraq before we got out of Afghanistan. Uh, well, uh, we got out of Iraq insofar as we have an embassy with 50,000 military units in it. That's still there. <laughs> sure. Uh, but an embassy that uh, looks an awful lot like a military like base in the like middle military of, base. of Iraq. <laughs> But, you know, uh, uh, so there is no active, like, nation-building patrols that are happening in, in, in Iraq. Publicly, the narrative has been that we have pulled out of Iraq. Right, and that we, have, we, we trained such a good army, they were able to fight ISIS. Yes, good for them. Uh, although now ISIS-K is out. Oh, okay. Explain to me the, the K-hole. I actually just looked this up today because Biden just dropped it during his speech yesterday of like, like and now ISIS-K is... Mah, mah, mah. Uh, so ISIS K is ISIS, but they were founded by ex Taliban members who were tired of getting their ass kicked. <laughs> and so they saw success that ISIS has had. And so they pledged allegiance to El Baghdadi. And so they formed their own like ISIS thing that ranges anywhere between, I think, America says. There's a thousand of them. Uh, foreign intelligence says that there's anywhere to 3,000. And Russia says that they're 10,000. Both Hamid Karzai, now out of power, and the Russians have accused ISIS-K of being an American front organization. Oh, actually, that would be, I mean, the best way to, to, to take on McDonald's is to open a McDowell's, <laughs> like, like, right next door. Uh which, which I'm sure we're, we're you know, now, now we're bordering on an Alex Jones segment <laughs> of, uh, uh, you know, what's what's happening right now in Afghanistan. But uh, if we just take it at the face value that they are a rival faction to the Taliban, but yet have a shared interest in chasing the great infidel out of their out of their land then the question would be, are they going to launch an attack on the airport? And that's the other thing is that like all this is happening at this Hamad Karzai airport. There's nothing stopping a mortar being launched like onto the runway. There is nothing stopping uh, a, a oh, the fire. Ta the Taliban from or just, just ISIS destroying Special it, yeah. K, like, like uh, uh, launching something that, that really throws a, uh, uh, a wrench into, into all of this. Man, and, and I don't know, there's, there's, there's shades of, uh, of, of, of uh, when it comes to media culture of, you know, Vietnam brought the Vietnam War to uh, living rooms at dinner time across the nation and uh, the, the world saw war in a way they'd never seen before. And I kind of feel like, you know, the, to the extent that we're getting vi visual boots on the ground in the moment, these are the rats, these are the human feces. This is the humanitarian disaster that is happening or whatever. And um, I, I don't know, I don't have a sense yet whether the global opinion is United States, why are you allowing this to happen? Or it's Taliban, why are you doing this to your people? Uh, 
Globe's a pretty big place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably a lot of opinions. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the that glo- comment section is pretty diverse. <laughs> the Globe is the Reddit of the planets. <laughs> Very bored, horny commenters. Uh, Brian, thank few, you so fewer much. Fewer atheists in, uh, in Afghanistan. Fewer though. atheists. Few, fewer, especially now. Oh, jeez. If you were if you were an atheist before, time to keep that to yourself. Oh. <laughs> Uh, it's just awful. It's just awful. And I have no answers. Um, uh, I, 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 I really do. I have no answers. I really wanted to mostly talk to you about, I mean, you are obviously not an expert on Afghanistan, but I do think that you are a, a passionate advocate for non-interventionalism from the American perspective. And I guess this is how we will end it. Do you think that the cause of non-interventionalism is healthier or weaker past this uh, public display. Uh, I know that what is happening right now is deeply, deeply unpleasant, but what we're experiencing is not a reason to stay interventionist. What we're doing is we are experiencing the unpleasant fruits that are born from intervening in the first place. If in an alternate reality, we had ever had a narrative endpoint, you know, finding Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan and then just GTFOing. Uh, I, I feel like it would be uh, America would be in a better place than we are right now. Thank you very much, Brian. Where can people find you? Uh, at Schwood on the Twitters. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, great night every Tuesday night with Justin Robert Young. It's just getting better and better. Uh, yeah. was, before the show, we were talking about, I went back and rewatched some of last night's show. Uh, 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 there's some funny stuff. If you, yeah, if you have uh, uh, dipped into any of Brian and I's comedy shenanigans in the past, then uh, uh, now's a great time to dip back in. If you ever, if you ever lost the thread, we're, uh, we're, we're building, there's, there's a lot of fun things happening and, and the energy in there is just uh, something special. So go ahead and check out Great Night as well. Thank you. And that will wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This show was edited by Brett Stewart. Before we get into the rest of the housekeeping, a little news to hit you on the way out the door. Herschel Walker has officially filed his papers and will run against Raphael Warnock for Senate in Georgia. Herschel Walker is very popular. He is a dynamic personality. He is certainly not uh, shy from uh, controversy. He has a a, a messy situation with an ex-wife. In his own book, he uh, admitted to having multiple personalities. But still, he has his Trump bona fides and he is tremendously popular with a lot of the same demographic, at least in terms of the African-American vote in Georgia that put Raphael Warnock in the Senate. So how will it all play out? We will see. And you will be able to uh, follow along with us it by following along with us by emailing us theyoungamerican at gmail.com hitting up our twitter px3 tweets our twitch is at px3live.com our podcast if you want to share it with your friends is at px3podcast.com and our merch is at politicsmerch.com if you'd like to support us 
You can do so by way of a one-time donation to paypal.me slash payjury. Uh, Cash App is PX3Cash, and checks are at P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, checks and anything else that you'd like to send physically in the mail is P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always continue in our ongoing study to see whether or not Venmo Cash is real by sending me $1 to justin-young-20. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus episodes per week covering all the news we missed during our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier, including headphones, Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Stephen, Kathy Mack, Zombie Doc, D. Really? Methuselah Honeyfuckle, The Jan, Middle-Aged Mike.com, Junkie Calamity, Zapti, Laser Lord, Scale, The Quince, Anila III, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Chad, David, Snuffies, Off Route 44, Charles, Olin and Angela, DL, Miranda Janelle, persons familiar with the matter, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, uh, just another pilot, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. If you'd like to join their ranks one more time, it's so simple. Just head on out to uh, take politics seriously.com. Let's see if we can break the streak. Break the streak this month. It's a long streak. Let's see. December, January, March, April, May, June, July. And so August would be it. So it'd be it'd be seven months. Can we snap the seven-month streak? Because look, I've I've said before on this program that I've got the best, safest job in media, and I do believe that. I don't know anybody else in the world of media. That that has the kind of job security that I have because it will take a lot of people to say I'm fired, as opposed to one person to say somebody else like my friends in in, in other more stable jobs have quote unquote stable jobs have. But at the same time, <laughs> when you see that those negative numbers, you know, yeah, you gotta. It's a gut check time, but I, I I feel it. I feel it. I feel like we're going to snap the streak here in August. We're, we're going to keep it at seven. Till next time, is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, wishing you a tremendously happy and healthy weekend. Till next time, a reminder that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh,
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.